How many of you have uh, ever been to the Statue of... Welcome. <laughs> How many of you have been to the Statue of Liberty? You know, I, I grew up in New Jersey, not far from there. I've never been there. I need to, I need to remedy that sometime. Um, at, the, at the base of the Statue of Liberty, there is a plaque with a poem. It's entitled the New Colossus, uh, by a poet by the name of Emma Lazarus. And most people, I think, know one line from that poem. It's very famous, but it's a short poem, and I'd like to read to you the whole thing. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. It's a beautiful poem, but it expresses a reach, I'm afraid, that exceeds our grasp. No other nation on earth calls as immigrants those whom no one else wants. The question is always, what do you have to contribute? And if the truth be told, our nation doesn't really do that either, call those whom no one else wants. And I wonder if any nation can do it. But this ideal, this beautiful poem, which is impossible, I think, for the kingdoms of the world, is precisely what the kingdom of God is like. And it's what the church, the visible expression of the kingdom of Christ on earth, is supposed to be like. And and I've asked myself over the past several years, Are we? Is this what the church is like? We miss the kingdom of God if we're waiting for it to look like one of the kingdoms of the world. Not long ago, I was uh, reading an article in a business publication that had to do with the importance of networking. Of, of widening your net and your connections and meeting people. But th- this article was saying how important it was to not waste your time networking with people merely because you like them, but you needed to network with people who were able to provide something for you, who were able to benefit you in some way, to help you to achieve your goals. And so the article encouraged a selective networking because, you know, you only have so much time to spend on that endeavor. We only have 24 hours in a day, uh, any of us. And so you need to be sure that you're engaging with quality people who are 
enabling you to be able to reach your goals. You want to make sure that they're people who can benefit you. And you don't want to spend too much time with people who are unable to benefit you. Is that good advice for professional advancement? I don't know. It may be. But it's not good advice for the church. And it fails to consider that the people that we may want may not be the people that God wants. In 1 Corinthians 12, we're told that people have a variety of gifts in the body of Christ. But, but how are we to apply those things? Well, I want to read to you today from Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. This is an episode in the life of Jesus. And it says this. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in, that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Father, open our eyes to the kingdom of God. Help us to be the servants and stewards of it. And Father, let us be among those who rejoice to eat at that banqueting table in the kingdom of God. The the people that we want may not be the people that God wants. In 1 Corinthians 12, we're told that people have a variety of gifts within the body of Christ. And we're told that people are placed in their church Not by accident, we're told that God has arranged the members of the body, each one, just as he has desired. You know, I've sometimes thought, I wonder when I look at the the span and the scope of the evangelical church in America today, 
if people actually took that seriously, instead of hopping and skipping from church to church, if they took seriously that God has placed each one in their respective bodies just as he has desired. And of course, we're all obliged to use the gifts that God has given to us for his kingdom and for service to the body of Christ to the very best of our abilities. But there's a danger that's inherent in that. And the danger is in inviting and welcoming to the church those that we gauge can benefit us. And, and if we do that, then of course we'll be excited when people show up who have computer skills or technical skills. We'll be excited when people show up who have musical skills or maybe construction skills or maybe organizational or teaching skills. We'll be excited when people with money show up. But we may not be so excited about people in great need showing up. We may not be so excited about the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind showing up. Those who seem to us to be more of a liability than an asset. And the danger is that we might subtly send the message that our valuations are really identical to the valuations of the world even when we don't mean to. Let me give you an example of that. A number of years ago, I visited a church, and the physical uh, plant was set up very differently from ours. The sanctuary was wider than it was long. Uh, And out beyond the sanctuary was a very wide hall, what would be analogous, I guess, to our narthex, but it was almost as big as the sanctuary again. And the church was so wide that the, that the seating began quite a ways in. So there was a, a lot of room from the back wall until you got to the first seats. And when I walked into this church on this particular Sunday, I was just visiting. I've, I think I've only been there a couple of times, but I, I, I walked into this particular church and I was delighted to see along the back wall uh, about 12, 15 people who were in wheelchairs. And uh, you could tell as you looked at these people that there were various levels of ability or disability. Some seemed to only lack the use of their legs or uh, had issues with mobility. Uh, Some seemed to have other disabilities, intellectual disabilities that went along with the physical uh, disabilities. Uh, One man, because of the apparatus on his chair, I uh, judge probably had something like ALS. But, but here they all were along the back of the church, and I was delighted to see that because you so seldom see it. But after the church service was over, people got up and began to talk. They, they greeted one another and walked out to that great hall, and, and I don't believe I saw one person stop and engage or talk to those people who were in the wheelchairs. Those people with disabilities, they were tolerated to be there, but they weren't really welcomed to be there. 
And it struck me over the last few years as I keep returning to this passage in Luke 14 that what Jesus says here is not a metaphor. These tend to be the people that no one wants. Oh, I know the ADA is a reality now and it's politically incorrect for people to admit that, but it's by and large the truth. And, and why is that? Well, it's because they're perceived as bringing more work than benefit. And our natural inclination, isn't it our natural inclination to invite people who can invite us back? And people who are able to benefit us in some way. And that's what Jesus says here. He says that when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The the natural inclination is for us to invite people who can invite us back. That wouldn't be a danger for us, would it? Uh, let, Let me tell you, folks, without flattery, that this church is the most welcoming, embracing, inclusive, loving church, I think, that I have ever had the privilege of being in. Several years ago, when I was uh, privileged to get in on the ground floor of the launch of the Tree of Life ministry in Leesburg, um, that was coming, they were trying to expand from Purcellville, and, um, and, and, I, and I told the church about it and the opportunities that afforded, were afforded by that ministry. And a lot of people who stepped up for that, our brother Brian was the director at the Leesburg um, Tree of Life for a while. Deb Sane is involved in the administration there now. And we're still involved with the, with the clothing drive and uh, with providing food. But someone, when I made that announcement, it's someone who's not here any longer, but she came to me and she raised a concern. And the concern was this, as I talked about Tree of Life. Does this mean that we might have a bunch of needy people who might show up here because I have enough struggles of my own? In other words, we might end up inviting people who can't invite us back. We miss the kingdom of God if we're waiting for it to look like the kingdoms of the world. The kingdom of God has a different standard of evaluation. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know if you can read the newspaper that Loudoun County is reported to be the wealthiest county in the United States. And I've pointed out before that 
uh, some years ago, we had a study done by our regional home missionary uh, who compiled that. He didn't do this research himself, but he compiled that. And at that time, a couple of years ago, um, 70% of the population of Loudoun County identified themselves as nuns, N-O-N-E-S, which means that they had no religious affiliation, no religious beliefs, no religious commitment, that 70% of the people believe in material reality, materialism, prosperity, and my own happiness. 70%. The remaining 30% are distributed among a variety of religions, not just Christianity. That there's a new mosque being built over on Sicklin Road um, and includes things like Baha'i and Hinduism and paganism and just a vague sense of spirituality. There's a lot of wealth here, a lot of brain power here, a lot of ability here, a lot of education here. But if we wait for the church to look like Loudoun County, we may well wait in vain and miss the kingdom of God. I want you to note in our story here, well, I didn't read the very first part of it. We're told uh, at the start of chapter 14, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So Jesus is in the home of this prominent Pharisee, no doubt invited, not because they really had any inclination toward Jesus, he's being watched, but because he's developed following. It's no small rebuke, you know, that Jesus is sitting at the table of this Pharisee who's invited him, who probably felt like he was very magnanimous for inviting Jesus. And Jesus said, did you see it in verse 12? Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Why does Jesus tell him that? It's because in response to somebody saying, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God that Jesus tells a parable about the feast of the kingdom of God. And do you notice the people who populate that feast? Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. 1 Corinthians 12, we're told that the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. We can't look at people and say, these are the functions that are important, or these are like me. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. In fact, Paul says, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And those parts that are un." 
presentable. That those which would be considered unpresentable, undesirable to the world, Paul says these we treat with special honor. I've read those passages, you know, and I ask myself, do I really believe those things? Do we really believe those things? What do we do to invite such people into our fellowship and into the kingdom of God? Do we really want such people here? You know, thankfully, let me say thankfully, in God's kingdom, there is room for everyone. I, I read a story, it was quite a long time ago. I wish I could remember it. I tried to find it again, I couldn't, because it was a true story. Uh, the person had a name, it was a, it was a minor uh, duchess in Great Britain. Minor duchess, but a, a part of the royal family in the early 1900s, and she had become an earnest Christian. And she began attending an evangelical chapel Uh, in preference to one of the churches of the Church of England, which was a bit of a scandal to her family. And one day, the pastor was reading from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 and following. He read this, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And as the pastor read that, he noticed that this woman was silently weeping and afraid that her conscience had been pricked by the word of God that she felt set upon and attacked, he spoke with her afterwards. And she said, oh no, pastor, I was weeping for joy. I am so thankful that God said not many of noble birth, and he didn't say not any of noble birth. And Jesus tells us that the servant came back and he reported to the master those who didn't want to come. And the owner of the house became angry and he ordered the servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. But did you notice that after that there's still room? Did you see that? There's still room. It's not that those who are valued and esteemed by the world are worthless in the kingdom of God, but it is that they have no preference in the kingdom of God. We miss the kingdom of God if we're waiting for it to look like the kingdoms of the world. And you know, in this, Jesus himself is the way. Let me say again that we, we must not miss in our passage that Jesus has been invited to the home of a prominent Pharisee. Not because he liked Jesus, but because Jesus had made a stir and he thought Jesus might be someone. And it's important, you know, to make the acquaintance of people who may be someone. Of course, it was unlikely that Jesus was anyone or would ever be anyone. 
He was from the crude little backwater of Nazareth. You might remember that when Philip found Nathanael and he said, hey, come and follow me. Look, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember Nathanael's response? He said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And Jesus, as you read through the Gospels, you know you'll see him from time to time in Jerusalem and from time to time in Capernaum. But most of the time, you see Jesus away from the cities, away from the population centers. Most of the time, in no account, little towns. It was remarkable, really, that Jesus of Nazareth garnered any attention at all, except that news of the things that he did kept spreading. But many people, I think, when they came and laid eyes on him and saw him, were shocked by what they saw. And well did Isaiah describe him. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their eyes, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus was such a person, and he came for such people. He came for those who have no beauty to make them desirable. He came for those who are despised, even if secretly because it's politically incorrect to do so. He came for those who are rejected, He came for those who suffer and know what it's like to live with pain. He came to those who are held in low esteem. And he came for those who are deemed unwanted, unlovely, not useful. Of such people is the kingdom of God. But we instinctively reflexively court the rich, the able, the well-connected because such people are beneficial and the broken are a liability. It's reflected in the question, does that mean that we might have a bunch of needy people here because I have enough struggles of my own? In 2 Corinthians 5.16, rather, the Apostle Paul writes, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We regard no one according to the flesh. What in the world does that mean? What is Paul talking about? Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his colloquial translation the message renders it this way listen to this because i think it captures it now we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look we looked at the messiah like that one time and we got it all wrong we certainly don't look at him that way anymore 
do we look at people who are in wheelchairs or have mobility issues, those who are going to wrinkle the carpet potentially? How do we look at people with autism or with intellectual disabilities or with genetic malformations or uh, disfigurements from injuries? Or those with invisible disabilities because there are such things that make people less able to contribute. If Luke 14 is to be taken at face value, these are the people that Jesus wants his kingdom populated with. And we need to ask ourselves if we do. You know, recently uh, someone posted, they said, they said, if, if you give up eating ice cream every night, you could lose up to 90% of what little joy you have left in your life. Um, maybe so, but that's not the whole story. Y- you'd really need to ask another side, and that would be, what would I gain? by giving up eating ice cream every night. If, if we were to not merely tolerate, not to be okay with it, but invited, welcomed, courted the people that God seems to want his kingdom populated with, we would have to give up a lot in the way of the comfort and convenience that we've come to expect of the modern world. But if we truly no longer regard anyone according to the flesh, then the question really becomes, but what would we gain by doing so? The rich, the able, the well-connected of Loudoun County, they're all welcome here. And they have been for some time. Where are they all? I'm sure there's more important things for them to do on Sunday. There's investments to attend to. They've got fields that they bought they have to go see. There's new equipment to try out. Those yoke of oxen need to be shaken out. There's relationships to cultivate. They're welcome here but it makes no sense to wait for them. Jesus told us to look for the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. In short, people who, like him, are not often wanted and not often valued. Lady Liberty cannot live up to her ideal. But the church has the power of God. And maybe Emma Lazarus's poem could be rewritten with Kiria Kiriu, the bride of Christ, as the subject rather than Lady Liberty. And if it was, that poem might read, not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land, 
Here at our townside gates shall stand a mighty woman with the torch and her name Mother of Exiles. From her beak and hand glows worldwide welcome. Keep, O kingdom of the world, your storied pomp, cries she with words and deeds. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside God's kingdom door. We'll miss the kingdom of God if we wait for it to look like the kingdoms of the world. Father, grant us uh, your grace that we might see the kingdom of God, that we might see the needs around us, that we might uh, not only be tolerant of, but inviting to reach out uh, those whom, Lord Jesus, you've told us in this parable that, that of such people, belong the kingdom of God, to such people belong the kingdom of God, and by your grace to us too. Amen.